0: Luke 15, very, very familiar. Now, for anybody that writes in your Bible, some people write in your Bible the messages I preach and the texts that I pull from. And so I pulled a Luke 15. If you're like me, when I felt on this topic and how and working through this, I thought to myself, I just preached out of Luke 15. I don't wanna preach out of Luke 15 again. And, but because I keep meticulous notes, I went to see when I had just preached. I thought it was about four, five, maybe six weeks ago. Found out it was over six months ago. It was uh, September the 4th, the PM service, and I didn't even get to preach it completely because we had a shout down, and I'm good with that. Just let you know. But I preached about the family. But I never really have spent as much time as I have this week focusing in on the first two verses of this chapter. We're gonna walk through this story a little bit, but it's the first two verses of Luke 15 that I would like for us to read and draw our attention to here today. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and the sinners. Why? For to hear him. Verse two, shows the contention and the pharisees and the scribes murmured saying this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them it's one thing to let them come close it's another thing to eat and discuss in their proximity It was the publicans and the sinners. Now, for a memorable title and for our topic and assignment today, I want to preach on this thought. It is the final of the three consecutive parables where it is the parable of the prodigal son. And for that, I will title this today, The Father is Waiting. The Father is waiting, okay? But I think God wants to help us do a little work. If you're a guest, we're so glad you're with us. Thanks for taking time. Spring break week and you're still here with us and and we're so thankful. we're, We're delighted. It's our custom after the reading of the word and I think it's a good one for us to pray and ask God, Lord, let your word affect my mind and my heart the way that it needs to be. We've just sang about it. Give my, 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 my heart, my flesh, I give it to you. Why don't we go ahead and pray right now and ask him that his word would do its work in our lives. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the reading of the word. I thank you for these incredible people that would be here on this chilly Sunday morning. I pray that you would help my mind and my heart, that you would help me to be anointed. Dear Lord, that I could preach, yes, passionately, but most importantly, anointed by you to relay your word the way that it is in my heart. I pray that you would bless every hearer, that we could be more than simply hearers, but also doers of the word. We thank you for what we feel during our time of worship, and I pray that that would move us forward in our time in the word. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, and let everyone else in the room say amen. Amen. God bless you, and you may be seated here today. I would like to take a poll of the crowd as is such my uh, normative procedure. Often I ask this, this, this. And I wanna start today with asking this question. Who is terrified of public speaking? Be honest, raise your hand. It's considered the number one fear. I saw a lot of hands. Some of you were scared to even lift your hand, that. Public sign language, I guess. public, come on. In public speaking, one of the foundational elements is to know your audience. Know your audience. Who are you speaking to? I can remember... In my early years as a youth pastor, part of my role was at times to speak to children in a chapel. I found out very quickly you need props. There's a reason, ladies and gentlemen, that puppet ministry exists. And now, If I brought up puppets today and I got down behind the (laughs) pulpit, I don't A few of you might like it, but knowing the audience is important. I think we've all been in a place where we as we would say in our vernacular, put our foot in our mouth because we didn't know the audience. We accidentally said something in regards to someone else, not knowing that was their cousin or that was their best friend. And then you try to get out. Of what you've said with things like, but they're a great person. (laughs) I know that they met well. Knowing our audience is important. Understanding who we're speaking to is a critical thing. And so even in our services, we are often Sunday morning is a little different than our Sunday night and Sunday night is a little different than our Wednesday night. It's dependent upon our audience. And then we try to use and utilize vernacular and topical approach based on who and whom. Yet in a situation like we have often, there is a wide array of individuals. And it's a good thing. A healthy church should always have people that are different in their levels of relational value with the Lord. Those that have been walking with God for 50 years in a healthy church will often only be seats away from people who have just begun their journey with Him. In this particular instance and situation, I have always Focused on the parables, I've been um, I've been very honest in my ministry about what are known as bailout scriptures and bailout stories. I'll speak it this way: as a public speaker, sometimes, Brother Watkins, it's tough. We know that from the beginning of creation, the Lord spoke and there was response. How many believe that? He said, let there be and there was. And sometimes in public speaking, you depend upon that response. Does that make sense? And yet I've been in situations where I was really thinking I had something good to say, even knew it was from the Lord. But nobody else was as sure. <laughs> and I've been doing my best to relay that, and, and, and there have been places and times and moments and, dare I say, messages where it just wasn't working. What do you mean? Well, I was, I was giving it everything I had, but the audience was just kind of, Blessing, Lord. Blessing. My mom used to tell me, when you first started preaching, I was so nervous. She, I told her that made two of she said, no, no, it was a different kind of nervous. And parents in the room, you understand. You're excited for them, but you're terrified. You're, you're, you're excited that they get the mic, but and we've all, we've all done those things where we where we mix up the names and we're trying to speak and we're. But in those get out of jail free, those go-to stories. This has always been one of them. If you cannot effectively talk about the lost coin, if you cannot effectively preach about the lost sheep, if you cannot effectively preach the prodigal son, you cannot effectively preach. I'm gonna say that while the college students aren't here. But it's the truth. They preach themselves. And everyone in this room can relate to these parables in some way. You've maybe never lost a sheep. Good for you. Farmers of America salute you. And, and, and maybe you've... Maybe you've never lost a child, but 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 maybe you have, and it makes it sensitive. But almost everyone has the ability to relate in one of the three. Have you ever lost a coin? Well, sure. You ever lost that $20 bill that you knew? Any person in this room ever put on a... a, 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 a piece of clothing and stick your hand in the pocket to miraculously find a $20 bill and it's only because you lost it before, but the joy of finding it in that, God's been come, is really, And it is the benefit of finding what was misplaced. What was lost. And so maybe, maybe you've never frantically searched your home over a lost coin. How about keys? Oh, no, that's another story. Now all of a sudden it relates, doesn't it? How is it that we only lose our keys when we're in a hurry? If you had an hour before you had to leave, your keys would be hanging, right? But it's when you're already running late. And I don't know that the keys are worthy of the celebration, but Christ is weaving a timeless truth about the searching and the seeking and the going after. And so as we begin to read down through these parables, what, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he if he lose one of them, does not leave the ninety and the nine. And, and everyone, or most of us in this story, loves the thought that, that Christ is teaching. It doesn't matter how much you have if one is missing. And every parent in this room would be able to stand and testify next to me while I might be your pastor. I am first and foremost a father. And I would tell you, every parent in the room can relate. Whether, whether in this instance we're talking about sheep and leading to the reality that we're about to talk about more than just possessions, but we're going to get to the story of the son. And we could say, thank God that there is a Teaching to go and search for the lost sheep. And I will stand and go on record today and tell you, I still think that sheep searching is worth it. Yes, I do. I still think that it is worth it for us to take of our time and our talents that he preached about last Sunday and take of our energy and take of our resources and say, thank God for the 90 and the 9. But there is one that we've got to go after and we've got to reach for. That's right. It's biblical and it's appropriate. And may we always be a church that says, let's look for any sheep that has wandered beyond If it's wandered on beyond the voice of the shepherd and the safety of the pasture, then let us be a voice as a church that can go crying and calling and reaching. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And thank God for it. And yet I will tell you the very same series of parables is about to teach of a woman that is going to lose. If you look at verse 8, either that woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently until she... Find it, and when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. I will tell you an unspoken part of this portion of the parable is that she was transparent enough to let those close to her know she was looking for something she had lost. We live in an American culture that thinks we should tell no one when we have things that are missing. But she needed people to search with her and people to celebrate with her. I'm going to say that again. People to search with her and people to celebrate with her. We need people in our life that if the coin is found, they don't try to keep it for themselves. But people that can celebrate this was yours all along and we've been on a series of preaching over the last couple of months and God has begun to do things in some people's lives that they thought was lost for a long time ago but some new and old gifts and coins and talents if you will have been reestablished and cultivated and clung to and I will tell you sometimes it is diligently searching in the house that will make the difference. There are times that the sheep wander and we've got to walk after them but I'm going to also tell you a lot of stuff can be found if we'll just diligently seek in the house if we'll just if while we're in the house I'm going to say something that I know you know but I'm going to preach it anyway this is not just any other house this is the house of God and we can find things in this house that we might not be able to find anywhere else Let me give you an illustration. Some of you walked in here and you got nine talents. You got all kind of coins in the piggy bank, but that coin of joy you haven't been able to find for months. You might be a visitor here today and you don't even know why you agreed to come. I will tell you it's been the coin of joy for you and you haven't been able to find it, but I promise you if you'll seek diligently in this house, you might be able to tell everybody, I found what I have been missing, what I have been looking for, what I have been. It's the parable of searching and restoring, searching and restoring. I'm going to park here for a second, man. I feel something right here, right now. I think we've got to get back to this belief of diligently seeking him, diligently searching and seeking. And, and, And I love this, that he's as close as the mention of his name. And I believe it with all my heart, but we didn't get here simply because the elders thought you just blab it and grab it. We got here because the elders believed whatever it costs, whatever I. We got, you said it during prayer. We got here because even when John was in prison, even when John was in prison, Jesus said, You go tell him what you've seen and you tell him what you've heard. Wait a minute, aren't we going to get John out of prison? John getting out of prison will not be what determines whether or not I am the Messiah. Man, I feel it. I feel the Holy Ghost coming on me right now. I tell you in this room, in this room I want to get back to diligently seeking after what magnifies God as God what magnifies the name of the Lord Jesus Christ above all else and how do I search after it if I need joy I got to be willing to diligently seek after joy if I need peace then I'm going to come in the house what about if nobody else is worshiping let them stay seated if they want. let them do whatever they want but I've got to find what has been lost. And here's the personal touch of the story. What you lose and what they lose will be different. For you, maybe you can't find your keys. For them, it sucks. We got so many people in our house. We got an entire area of single socks. <laughs> we could have a quilt. Where do they go? I know where you walked in, in two. You ever wonder that? How do kids lose? Did you wear them both in the house? Did you spontaneously take one off? Is there something in the dryer? Is this a sick joke that we don't know about? Do dryer manufacturers, have they got together in a boardroom somewhere and said every third load, there will be a trap door that opens and we will eat a sock. They'll never know. I think they're in it with the sock company. Doesn't make sense, but that's funny. If, you, if anybody can relate with the one sock dilemma, I want you to raise your hand, right? Look at the hands. I want everybody in the room to write a letter to the dryer manufacturers. <laughs> I, want, I want everybody in the room, I want you to yell something that you lose. Yell something that you lose. You're always, you can't. Oh, phone, yeah, phone. Hey, can you call my phone? Can you just call? All of you with watches. Ding, 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 ding. All the time. Where's the one I'm legally bound to? Ding, 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 ding. I can't tell you how many times I've yelled through the house. It's in here. What else? Phones, what else? What else do you lose? Passport. Oh, you ain't going nowhere. You lose. passport. Huh? My mind. My mind. <laughs> this is actually an intervention. We've been wanting to talk to you. We all came. I didn't know we'd get here this quickly, but here we, we all have a tendency to lose things. I want to I want to remind us today, Christ is the master of storytelling. He was the He was the master of storytelling. And there was no way to unweave truth from every topic that came through his lips. For he was truth. And he's talked about the sheep that was lost. He said, "How, how many of you, if you lost a sheep, you wouldn't go after it? And consider this lady that's lost a coin. And it's hard to celebrate nine when a tenth is missing. Oh, but when she's found it, And we draw from this the opportunity to be a church that celebrates when others win. And we better always be that way. God forbid that the church would be prone to celebrate someone's loss rather than someone's gain. And that's not the kind of church this is. And I thank God this is a church that wants to celebrate with one another but he gets into this parable and and he doesn't spend a lot of time on these first two. We, we, We just don't have a lot. We have three to seven on the first one and we have eight through 10 on the second one, but he dives into this story on number 11 that really feels like everything is set up for this. There is a certain man with two sons. If you have multiple children in the house, you know that you have multiple personalities. Maybe not multiple personality disorder, but it may be disorderly. And there is an elder son and there is a younger son. And this younger son comes to the father and says, I would like my portion now. It really reads, honestly, it reads like something that could be torn out of today's generation. I want it now. Because I strive to be physically responsible and I'm concerned with the investment. My my initial is I'm looking at this kid and I'm thinking, number one, that's audacious. Right? Go up to your dad and I like my stuff. All of it. You know that dad had to be like, it's not even your stuff, man. But he comes and asks him. But the part of me that's trying to be financially wise thinks, man, this operation is moving. Why don't you let some compound interest occur? Get a little farther down the road and what's yours will be More. And if we're not careful, we look at this story, not understanding Jewish law or tradition or custom, but in Deuteronomy 21, he had every right to come to the father during the life. And this is just a parable. Christ is teaching a parable here. He's giving a lesson. But according to Deuteronomy, he could come. And it was, it was Jewish custom that the father could dispense to his children during his lifetime, that which was going to be their inheritance. And so it seems to be no argument. He gives this to him. Now, the other part of this Jewish custom is that the oldest son got two-thirds and the younger son gets one-third. The older brother doesn't ask. We're gonna see him at the end of the story. You know what happens here. He gets offended that they would celebrate the younger son's return. but But the younger son asks, he's, can I just say this? The parable is teaching he is immature. He is immature. I'm going to just take a moment. I'm going to pause here for a second and say, we have to remember people's immaturity, even young people's immaturity, should not make us love them less. Everyone in this room that has never made a dumb decision, you're welcome to leave. This won't apply to you. If anyone gets up and leaves, though, that's your dumb decision, so sit. <laughs> we've, all, we've all made those decisions. But the young man comes to him, and the Bible says he goes into a far country. The father allows it. He goes into a far country and spends it on riotous living. I've told you this before, but every time I read this, I can't get... I can't get away from when I was younger. You know, I told you my mom would get nervous. I remember I preached so fervently that he went and spent all he had on righteous living. I knew he did bad. I just couldn't read good enough. And my youth pastor walked up to me after service and he was like, most of it was good. (laughs) Um, But it's not righteous living. It was riotous living. Did I say righteous? (laughs) And every public speaker in this room has had a slip of the tongue or a misunderstanding. But he went and he lived in a way that he should not have lived. And there's people all over this room that at one point lived in a way. Now maybe people all over this room, people might not know your story, but a lot of us have a little bit of this in us. The problem for him is when the famine hits the land that he's in. Oh, man. I will tell you what I believe. I believe there's famine in this land. And I believe there is famine coming to this land. And God forbid anybody's wandering eyes leads them into the world at the church's greatest hour. But if they have or if they do, may this be the kind of home Now in the, first, in the first two parts of this parable, the shepherd goes searching and the woman goes searching. But in this third and critical element of this parable, Jesus is in full response mode. The way I opened this to know your audience, Jesus is teaching a parable in the face of his audience. And who was his audience? Yeah, publicans and sinners. Publicans are backsliders. That's what they were. Sinners are those who just haven't known. Publicans have turned their back on their childhood knowledge of the Messiah. Sinners know no better. He's having dialogue with both of them, both groups, both social classes, and the Pharisees and the scribes begin to murmur. Well, I don't, this is, this is yeah, your hat looks nice, but this is. And so he begins to teach the parable, the sheep and the shepherd, the woman and the coin. And then he goes into this dialogue. And Jesus is responding to them in the earshot of the publicans and the sinners. And he's telling this story about this wayward son and nothing is wrong in Jewish culture. I need us to catch this. Nothing is wrong in Jewish culture. Nothing is wrong in Jewish culture. Nothing. are, Are you catching that? Nothing is wrong except for the fact that famine has hit the land and now he is taken to a man of that country and he is going to be feeding and working with the swine of the area and the Bible says that he would have filled his own belly with the husk, but no man would give him the opportunity. They would feed the pigs before they would feed him. That's what the Bible says. No man would give unto him. And he comes to himself. I preach this. I love this. I believe in this. That he comes to himself. And any person will come to themselves before they come to the Father. He comes to himself. Look here with me in the scripture of Luke 15. Verse 17. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough? to spare, and I perish with hunger, I will arise, I will arise and go to my Father. I'm going to pause here intentionally. I know I'm taking time and you know the story. I won't preach much longer for the sake of you, but I want to pause and I want us to really get this. If we're not careful, we get caught in the first two parts of this parable where the shepherd goes searching and the woman goes searching. And if we're not careful, we think it is someone else's responsibility to come find this boy. I'm praying I am praying, I'm even going to do it publicly right now. God, give people the strength to get up. To get up. To get up. I'm going to tell you the battlefield right now, and you already know it, so I'm going to preach to the choir. But the battlefield in this generation is the battlefield of the mind. It is the battlefield of the mind in the church and out of the church. In the church and out of the church. It is this battlefield of the mind. And Jesus is teaching this parable because you've got these Pharisees and scribes that don't want these publicans and these sinners sitting here. But Jesus is teaching and he knows his audience and he knows it's going to rub them the wrong way. But he starts talking about this boy, this, this boy that spent everything of his inheritance. He spent it like that. It was gone and famine hit the land and famine doesn't matter until all your resources are gone but one day in the middle of that pig pen he came to himself and we got a lot of people you may be even listening to this broadcast right now because you haven't mustered up the courage to get into these doors or you might be sitting under the sound of my voice and you're here but you're not really here the Bible said he came to himself yes but then he arose He got up. He had nothing left. Yes, he did. He had willpower left. Nobody gave him any. It wasn't because he was malnourished and then they gave him to eat and he started feeling better. No, no, no. They wouldn't even give him anything. But he had more inside of him than he thought that he had. And when he got his mind off the negative, when he got his mind off of who he was and started remembering who he could be if he would just get to the house of the Father. He came to himself and then he got up. You know I feel like preaching it, so I might as well for a minute. We need a good old prayer of just get up. Rejoice not against me oh my enemy when I fall. I guess I need about a hundred people that remember the day you got up. You were down and you were depressed and you were overwhelmed. But it got in your mind, if I can get up, if I can just get if I can just get up, if I if I can just if I if I if I, if I could just if I could just if I could just I'm telling somebody in this room, if you could just spiritually get up. I'm telling somebody watching from home, get up, get up, get up. up. Somebody yell, he got up. He he arose. Oh, lift your hands with me, man. the first step is the hardest how many have heard that your whole life the first step is first step is the hardest I'm telling you the first step that's the hardest is getting up just standing up and remember your legs might be shaking and your hunger pangs might be going, but if you could get your eyes off the pigs and get your eyes in the direction of the fathers. My nails are dirty, my heart's hurting, but my ego's gone. I'm looking toward the fathers. And these steps might not look like much. I, I know I don't look like a marathon runner. I, I know I don't look like a sprinter. But if I can get to the Father's house, if, if I can just get the right... Oh, I'm preaching to somebody in this room and somebody online right now. If you would get up and say, I'm gonna head to the Father's house. Woo! Stand with me. Stay with me, man. I want to keep preaching, but I feel a call. I feel a draw. I feel. You know the story, don't you? When he was alone way, Brother Micah, he was alone way off. Part of that same Jewish custom, part of that same Jewish custom if he did what the elder brother said. You know, the elder brother in this story introduces the narrative that he was with harlots. Whether it was factual or whether it was what he built in his mind to justify his animosity towards his brother. But that same law that that says he could have what belonged to him is the same law that said the community he was a part of could rise up and kill him. They could stone him to death if he was involved in all that debauchery and sin and the alienation. I spent some time in Israel a couple years ago and while we were there, we went past these tribes and they began to tell us a story. They said if one of the women from this area, if they don't stick with who they've been joined to, if they would go off before their marriage and they would commit adultery or if they would be married and leave their spouse, their community will get together and kill her. Because they won't allow that. It's an old law custom. And I don't believe in that. And the New Testament is bringing fulfillment. But this law that these, remember his audience, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were not ready for what Jesus was about to tell them. They said when he was alone, way off that daddy, jumped down off the porch and started running all the way down that old dirt road. And he found that son. He found that son and he got that son and the Bible says he fell on him and kissed him and brought him back into town. Here's the deal. You can't stone him without stoning me. You can't kill him without killing me. And I need you to know as his father. I forgive him. I'm putting my ring on him. I'm putting my robe on him. Jesus is telling the Pharisees and the scribes. I don't care what you think about redemption. I don't care what you think about restoration. The Father. The Father. The Father is waiting. Wait a minute. He doesn't deserve mercy. Stay for a second. Turn over in your Bible. Stand. I really I'm done. I'm done. Ish. I'm done. Ephesians. Ephesians. I'm gonna stop. Give me 10 verses. Ephesians two, and you, hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past he walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince, the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature the children of wrath even as others. We were, we were, we were like them. We were like everybody. We were in the flesh. But God, who is rich in mercy? For His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sin, hath quickened us. Hath quickened us together with who? With Christ by grace ye are saved and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus we come in this house and we feel his glory and we feel his presence but the apostle is saying but you better remember it was him and his grace that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved. How? Through faith. Not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works lest any man should boast. For we are his. His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. This parable that the Pharisees and the scribes did not want to hear about this father was the prelude between him and his children. It's not that he's good. It's that God It's not that He deserves it. It's that the Father has been waiting. Why did He say that He came? To what? To seek and to save. To seek and to save. Save from what? The punishment of death. For the wages of sin... Is death, but the gift. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, Pastor. I don't, I don't deserve this. Me neither. Wait a minute, Dad. I, I, went, I was just going to try to be a servant in your house. and When I started walking, I just wanted to be a servant. What you need to know is the desire to be a servant in my house, it allows me the opportunity. Of telling you how I viewed you the whole time, you didn't know. I know you didn't know, and I don't want you to feel bad. But I'd stand on this porch every day. They've been they've been fattening up old Bessie the calf. They've been they've been fattening her up. I believed in my mind there'd come a day I heard about the famine. I heard about the famine, but I knew I gave you quite a bit. I, I didn't know. I didn't know. Dad, why are you holding me so close? Because if I don't, there are people that won't think that my love is real. The response of this parable to the Pharisees and the scribes was that even if you don't love them, the Father does. He knew his audience. Well, what difference would it really make? Well, I think it would make a difference. There's going to be one of these Pharisees that walks to him one night. His name is Nicodemus. He said, Level with me. What's it really take? Jesus told him, Accept a man, be born again. Huh. Nicodemus said, how's, how's a guy to enter? A second time into his mother's womb, and Jesus said, No, listen, barely, barely I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit. I've got good news for everyone in the, in the building, on the main level, in the balcony. I got good news for every person watching online the Father. He's been wanting this moment more than you. Well, Pastor, I I haven't strayed from God. I haven't. I've got to tell you, I don't, I don't think I have either, but I feel as moved right now. It's hard for me to fathom the Father how much He wants my relationship. I'm speaking even right now to people that come every Sunday service. Every Wednesday night, you're faithful in everything. And I commend you and I pray God blesses you abundantly. But I've come to tell even you, every person that walked into this place wearing flesh, we've got a little bit of the prodigal son in us because prodigal does not mean backslidden. It means wasteful. He's called the prodigal son because prodigal means wasteful. And while you preached on talents, I'm preaching to me for the next 30 seconds as we make this altar call, and I'm saying I got a little bit of this prodigal that tries to creep up and tell me, God, you can have this much, but not this. God I give you this, but I'm not giving you this and no one's going to talk about me because I'm not in a distant land. The danger of Luke 15 is that we interpret distant land as a long ways when truthfully it probably was not that far, but anything outside the presence of the Father is too far. Would you lift your hands with me all over this house? Thank you, Brother Micah.